Sharing doesn't mean you have to do everything I say. You cannot change. Right? That's what we call you have to understand. I, let me tell you what you have to do. First, you have to unlearn every single thing you think. You have to unlearn. Then you have to learn. Then you have to understand. Then you have to appreciate. Then you can decide whether to agree or disagree. And when you appreciate the other position, even when you disagree with them, it's critical. When you disagree with someone after appreciating them, you can live in mutual peaceful coexistence. And you can even cooperate and collaborate on many things. But if you disagree with them without appreciating them, you will not be able to cooperate and collaborate. And no matter how much you think you may bring unity, you will actually be a source of disunity. So I have no problem with somebody being contemporary if they appreciate the classical approach. But if they choose to be contemporary without appreciating the classical approach, then they won't be able to cooperate and collaborate with those who follow the classical approach. Alright? Okay. Now let's first start with akal. Akal refers to our intellect. Akal on its own is unguided, untempered, extremely fallible. It's not like akal is 99% correct and the fallibility is just 1%. No. Akal is highly fallible. That's why you'll find this for us. I prefer to give it a minute. You will find that there have been so many thinkers in this world, so many philosophers in this world, and they never agree. Right? I always find it so amusing some people come to me and tell me that the ulama can never agree. I say, look, I've taken the history of philosophy for 20 years of my life. You want me to show you disagreement? It's not the ulama. That's nothing. Let me show you the disagreement of the philosophers and thinkers and ideologues in this world. I've been to conferences at Ivy League universities, which they spent two days just disagreeing on what Weberian sociology is. They all view themselves as Weberians. They all do PhDs in Marx Weber. They all claim that they analyze society according to Marx Weber's theory, and they all disagree with each other. They all disagree with each other. If you pick up any good journal in any field of academia, it's all about disagreement. And that disagreement is celebrated. We celebrate that. We celebrate that there's neoclassical and Keynesian and all types of different approaches to economics. They, why? Because they're correct. They understand. It would be foolish. You know, the way people talk about Olamov, I would to talk about professors that way. People in Oxford and Chicago would laugh at me. If I walked in and said, oh, you know, you have 12, faculty, 12 professors in our faculty, and they all disagree with each other, and this is disunity, and you've made a mess of the field of sociology, and none of you can get along, and you all critically review one of our articles in journals, and you're all writing book reviews on one another, and critiquing one another, and you're completely wrong, they look at you and say, you don't understand what academia is. This is what we do. <laughs> our disagreement is the proof of our knowledge. Our disagreement is not disunity. We're one department. We're one journal. We're writing in the same journal from different perspectives. But they're not people of akal. I just want to be clear to you. The professors in academia are not people of akal. They're people of ilm. There's a big difference between akal and ilm. Big difference between akal and ilm. Akal is like eyesight. You see, no matter how sharp your vision may be, you cannot see anything unless there is light. Without light, you will not be able to see anything, even if you have perfect vision. Just like that, the akal is like eyesight. You will not be able to understand or perceive anything without light, without the nur of wahi, Quran, and nabuwa. That is the light through which the akal views. I wish I could make a PowerPoint presentation for you, and maybe one day I'll make an email to you. I give you a dawah and I'm sitting in the Muslim state of Bulu. And it's something you can check me on. 
It's something that's testable. I'm going to tell you something that is falsifiable if you can try to falsify it. Every single place in Quran where Allah Ta'ala mentions Akam, Afala Ta'kanood, every time he's addressing unbelievers. Not telling believers to use their Akam. Every time he's addressing unbelievers and telling them, and by Akal he doesn't mean very fancy intellectual deliberation. By uncle there, Allah Ta'ala means, can't you just use your basic, simple, common sense and look in the creation around you, you will be able to see the signs of the Creator, you should come to Imam. It's the only way uncle is used in Qur'an. And the Qur'an is there, it's there for you. In every language you can search in database, you can test on it. It's a falsifiable thing if you want to falsify. Every place in Qur'an, uncle is used just for that to tell the unbeliever to use their aql in terms of common sense to come to the belief in one Allah. After that, then if somebody accepts that, then they are now called Alladina Amanu. That's also looking Quran. Entire place where Allah Ta'ala talks to Alladina Amanu, never once does he tell them to use aql. You look it up in Quran. Never once. Why? What are Alladina Amanu supposed to do then if they don't use their aql? Very simple. They're supposed to go straight for the light source. They go straight for wahi, for scriptural revelation called Qur'an. They go straight to the sunnah of the Nabi Muhammad the Nur of Nabuwa, and the many other things Allah Ta'ala tells them. Taqwa, haya. In fact, Allah Ta'ala says clearly in the Qur'an, If only they had spiritual hearts, that they did, they shifted the akal part from their mind to their heart. They should have understood using their heart. If they understood using their heart, they would have been successful. It's clear in Quran. So I only begin with you on one common ground, which is Quran, and let's say hadith that everybody agrees to be There's some agrees that I may be beautiful, you may not. So I'm going to start with a comment. I'm not going to say anything today that goes beyond that. Nothing will I say without any other piece. This is Qur'an. This is Qur'an. If only they had used their understanding from their hearts. That's what believers are told. Why? Because when you have Iman, you don't have access to a source which is infinitely greater than Aqal. It's much higher. It's called the Ilm Allah Ta'ala-san. Allah Ta'ala-insana ma lam ya'lam. Allah Ta'ala-sana, I'm going to teach you something. That you never could have figured out, nor could you ever figure out without me. Means it's something that could never ever come in your naked akal mahas, we call it, in your mere intellect. It could never come in that. So the first step of a believer, if they want to follow the path of Quran, is they have to accept Iman and they have to give themselves entirely to this ilm. You have to drown in this ilm. It doesn't go away. You need the akal along with you to understand the ilm, right? You need the eyes when the light is there. If you close your eyes and there's light, you won't be able to see either. But you have to only see in the light. So it means to use all of your intellectual ability to understand the ilm Allah Ta'ala has revealed in Qur'an al-Kareem and the ilm Allah Ta'ala revealed in the seerah and the sunnah and the heart of the Prophet So now we open these two things up here. Let's start with Qur'an. In Qur'an there are three things. First is called the wordings of Qur'an. That's just an issue of pronunciation. That's called tajweed. And depending on your accent, and some of you have thick accents, if you have a thick accent, if you have a very thick accent, it may take you three, four, six months to learn the wordings of Qur'an properly. Yeah. 
Second thing is the meanings of Quran. Meanings of Quran is not understood from mere translation. No. Believe me, meanings of Quran is not understood from mere translation. Why? Because the Quran is a profoundly deep book. Profoundly deep book. And when Allah revealed the Arabic verses of Quran to the Prophet and the Prophet recited the Arabic verses to the Sahaba, and remember the Quran was revealed in the dialect of the Quraysh, the Arabic of that time. So forget translation, the Sahaba understood the meaning directly, right? Everybody would understand, anybody who knows Arabic as a native speaker, not today, the people that today they know native modern Arabic, not native speakers of classical Quran Arabic. If somebody's a native speaker of the dialect of Quraysh, classical Quranic Arabic, and I think everyone agree their knowledge of the meaning is better than anybody, no matter the greatest translation in the world. And Allah tells the Prophet and the Sahaba that it's not for you. What Allah says in Quran, لَكَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That indeed Allah Ta'ala has sent a special favor on the believers. إِلْبَعْتَ فِيهِ رُسُولًا مِنْ أَنْفُسِهِمْ When Allah Ta'ala sent to them the messenger from their own selves, from their own mixed means of fellow human beings, to do what لِيَكُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ To recite to them the verses of Qur'an. So the first original meaning of this verse is the Prophet is going to receive Arabic verses and recite Arabic verses to Arabic Sahaba. And this is going to be enough for them. It's not enough. The Prophet will probably have three more things for them to benefit from this Qur'an. You will have to purify their heart and character. All of you see way in the beginning, bam, in Surah Baqarah, what does Allah say? Hudan al-Muntaki. This book is a book of Hidayah, but for who? The Muntaqeen. <laughs> Arabic does not in any way help you to get taqwa. This is the Arab world. It's no, no better or worse than Indonesia or Malaysia or Pakistan or India or Bangladesh. Taqwa is something else. It has nothing to do with language or culture or race or ethnicity. There are people of good and bad taqwa in all races and languages. So Allah told them you have to do the taskiyah. Our mind is saying, Ya Allah, they're from fluent in Arabic, and you're reciting the Quran, just read it in Amal. No, 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 not like that. If the Sahaba aren't going to be like that, how do you think me and you can just read Quran and translation and practice it in that home and for day? Then another thing, يُعَلِّمْ In Arabic is from ta'lim, ta'allum. It means you have to formally teach them the book. It means this book must be formally taught and learned. Can't just be read just like that. I'm not giving you any interpretation. I'm giving you word for word lexical translation. Indisputable meaning of Quran. It's no interpretation of mine. It's not a school of thought I'm presenting to you. I'm presenting to you pure Quran. You You must formally teach them and instruct them the formal knowledge of the book. They understand Arabic, you review Quran in Arabic, you said Quran in Arabiya, they can get the meaning from the words. Allah is saying, no, they cannot get the meaning from the words. They will have to get the meaning from Rasulullah. They can't get the meaning from the words. The Sahaba cannot get the meaning of Quran from the words of Quran. And maybe you're going to get the meaning of Quran from English translation. Hmm? Not possible. Then Allah says, another step. That O Prophet, when you give them the knowledge, the formal knowledge of the book, that also Allah is going to reveal on the heart of the Prophet. He's not going to do his own ugly commentary. That's also going to be revealed by Allah to the Prophet. He will share that with Sahaba. But even that's not enough. You have to teach them another thing. 
when he arrives in the Vidu Manara, he gets closer to Masjid Nabui, what does he see? He sees everybody's crying. He sees everybody's crying. He doesn't understand. So he goes up to one person and says, I heard there was a prophet here. I've come to meet him. And the person starts crying more. The person starts crying even more. He doesn't understand. He goes to the second one. He starts crying more. He goes to the third one. He's a bit composer. He's like, oh, you just He just passed away ten minutes ago. First time. Yes, but you just missed him. Okay, imagine this. It must have happened like this, right? It's not a fiction. It must have happened like this. How can you become the first time? You must have just missed him. Also, he just passed away ten minutes ago. Imagine this person. <laughs> he made this whole journey. He wants to accept Imam, become the follower of the last and final prophet and messenger. But obviously, if he's Muslim, he's not going to turn back. He's going to go back. He's come to this Imam. Right? So they can ask the person, Oh, I just missed him. Yes. I'll never get a chance to see him. No. Then did you ever see him? The person will start crying. They say, Don't ask me this question. They say, Did I ever see him? Did I ever see him? So let's say, imagine that that Sahaba, his name is Abu Huraira, really loved him. Right? So what would the Tabi do? He'd grab onto him. And so I missed him. I'm not going to miss you. Abu said, What do you want from me? He said, Well, whatever you learn from him, I want to learn from you. That's not Tabi. Yes. All the interpretation. This is what must have happened. Whatever you learn from him, I want to learn from you. And what do you think Abu Huraira did? Do you think he takes out his notebook and says, These are the words of me? Do you think he gives him a Sahih Bukhari? Do you think Dina is about words and texts and books? Do you think instead of being sit down in two hours and dictate you all the deep I heard and I'll get you a copy of Musab al Quran and you go back to your village? Does that sound to you like that's the relationship between a Sahaba and a Tabi? Textual? Books? No way? Our Lord say, okay, you want to learn from me what I learned from him? He said, yes, that's what I want. He said, okay, you're going to have to sit with me, associate with me, live with me for a few years. Now this is factual history of Dabi. If you read the biographies of Dabi, you will see this. They lived and associated with Sahaba Islam for years of their life. Years of their life. This is a preserved, recorded history. He will say, you have to sit with me and associate with me and be with me and learn from me for a few years. And even then, maybe, maybe a drop of what I got from him, you will get from me. It's not about texts. It's not about words. This is one of the greatest revisionist historical projects that are taking place in our Ummah. To convince people it's just about texts and words. That you must do your being with the Sadiqi. You must put your heart in them. It's heart to heart. Let me take you one step back to another story. This is a real story. When Sayyidina Rasulullah himself was alive, even then it was not about texts and words. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that be in this world like a stranger to the world or like a traveler on the path. I think many of us, maybe even all of us, would have heard this And what do you think happened? 
You think Sayyidina Shazam said this sentence and Abu Hurairah is listening and he comes back the next day and he takes out a piece of paper and says, look, I got it. I wrote it down. I textualized it.
It's about feeling. You don't want to have so many feelings. That's on the website, I taught this once. The feelings of Fatima. There's so many feelings in there. So that's why it's Ummul Kitab. Why do you think it's Ummul Kitab? Why is it? The Prophet said all the asal of, you know, the essence of all revelation that we put in Quran, the essence of all Quran is the word of Allah. It's the words. It's not the transition, it's the feelings. The feeling of saying, Iyaka na'udu, is a big feeling. And then, oh, I'm entirely your servant and slave. Then immediately you're supposed to feel that, oh, I can't do that on my own. Iyaka nasa'id. It's a feeling. And then one sentence, you switch from one feeling to another. You have to learn this. You have to learn how to feel Qur'an. That's the spiritual grammar of Qur'an. Yes. The spiritual grammar of Qur'an. The spiritual lexicon of Qur'an. That's the view Qur'an, to feel Qur'an. Do you get proof from Qur'an? Allah says in the Qur'an, Al-Rahman. 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 Allah announces that I am proclaimed that I am Allah Rahman, all merciful Allah. The being of infinite mercy, mercy incarnate, the epitome of mercy. But if you want to know how you should feel, Fas'al. Go ask. Go inquire. You must go learn. Bihi khabira khabir. That person who is deeply informed of what it means that Allah is Allah. Yes? It's Allah telling us in the Quran. How many of us do amal on this verse? Fas'al bihi khabira. Feelings of Quran. Feelings of Quran. This is our deen. Yes, it's a beautiful being. It's beautiful feelings. The people who felt the feelings of Salah, that's when they wake up for Tajjah. You can't force yourself to wake up for Tajjah. That's a prayer question. It's not a prayer of obligation. Why did they pray half the night, one third of the night? Because they were feeling something. They got the feelings of Quran. So let me explain it to you. But the way me and you, we taste the sweetness of every spoon of ice cream. Every bowl we have. They felt something in every ruku, in every sajda. Subhanahu Rabbi al was a different taste. Subhanahu Rabbi Allah was a different taste. But like you and me, vanilla is a different taste, strawberry is a different taste. If you still can't feel, you can't feel a different feeling in ruku, a different feeling in sajda, what in the world do you want to have thought in conferences and workshops on? This is the building block of Islam. Buni of Islam al-Khams. This is the Prophet said, pillars and foundationers. Even though our pillars and proper's five foundations, if you don't have the foundation, where are you going to go? You have to finish step one. Step one is feelings of Quran, feelings of Salah, feelings of Sunnah. Yes, then when a person does all of this, what I just told you, the wordings of Quran, the meanings of Quran from professors of Quran, the feelings of Quran, there's another group of ulama, one that they call Awliya Allah. They're the Mashayah, they're the ones who feel Quran, they're the ones that Allah says in Quran or Qadir, they're the Siddiqeen, Sadiqeen, Allah tells us to put our hearts with. When you have the wordings and the meanings and the feelings of Quran, and you know the teachings, and you live the teachings, and you feel the feelings of the Sunnah, after that, then mean you can talk about everything to do with thought, and the Ummah, and leadership, and I'm willing to do all of that. Everything, I'll sit down with you. Do the first time first. You must have heard me if you say first things first. First things first. Get those feelings. Yes, I'll tell you the history of this Ummah. Whoever helped this Ummah, just look before colonialism. 
that's too much to explain to you when colonialism happens, it's an aberration and a perversion of the direction that the Ummah takes. And that aberration and perversion is continuing up till today. Now some of you are happy, I'm talking your type of stuff. Huh? Uh-huh. Go before colonialism. If anybody ever helped the Ummah, it was somebody who had these feelings. I'll give you an example from our own history of the Indian subcontinent. In Mughal India, there was a Mughal emperor, his name was Akbar. And he made an old deen. First he called it deen al-Akbar. Then he called it deen al-Ilahi. La hulu You know, in that day, you make sajda to him. Many things. This is enough to tell you. I'll tell you two things. You make sajda to him. And number two, and I read this recently in a non-Muslim historian's work when I was at Oxford, I was done. I didn't hear that from my teacher. In the Jummah Khutbah, you don't take the Prophet's name, you take his name. Imagine. And such strong man rule, he actually implemented this in the Mughal Empire of India, many places. Now if you just look within one generation, you're going to end up with another person called Jahangir, who is now reversing all of that entirely. Then after him is another person, Aurangzeb, who brings Islam in entirely. I mean, relatively speaking, compared to Islam in a very large amount. How do you make this journey from Akbar to Jahangir and Aurangzeb? Just in a matter of 34 years, in a whole vast Mughal Empire, an entire change, an entire turn, Allah Ta'ala took one wali from a place called Sibrin, his name was Shaykh Ahmed Sibrin, Indian Empire. One wali of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala brought about this change. So when you say the Sufis, what have you done? I'm sure industry, what we've done, what have you done? Show me any thinker of his thought and ideology through conferences and seminars, what they brought. Show me. Show me any good things. You know, in the Muslim world right now, there are roughly 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. Allah follow anywhere from 1 to 1.5 billion. Let's take it as one. Then I'm going to say 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. Half of them are in South Asia, Indian subcontinent. If you add up the Muslims in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, it's 550 to 600 million Muslims. How did these people ever become Islam? Go back in history. Again, historical fact. Hindu historians will write this. Atheist, Western historians in Cambridge and Oxford will write this. American historians will write this. Muslim historians tell me this. What? 99% of these Muslim, of these 600 million Muslims today, 99% are descended from Hindus. How did those Hindus accept Islam? The only Allah. Just walked in India, 100,000 Hindus became Muslim. Hindu historians write 100,000 Hindus became Muslim. One wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Show me that. Show me that person today. Show me that movement today. Hmm? Show me that school of thought today. Hmm? And there were others like him. But others like him. I find it so ironic that those of us who are Muslims of subcontinental heritage, you mock the very only due to which your Imam exists. You would be a Hindu right now if those only didn't walk the face of that, that part of the planet. You don't know your history. That's why I do my recent history. Why? Because history really makes it so clear. I also, when I went through the whole period of years, I checked everyone out. I sat with everyone. I've sat with everyone. Believe me. You'd be amazed at the wide spectrum. All the shame, God, the I sat with everyone. Everyone. When I was young, right? It's only history that makes it clear. History makes it so clear. 
And the problem is we don't know our history. <laughs> we don't know our history. And when you don't know history, you are prey to any ideology, any movement, any school of thought. Because you don't know your history. You don't know actually what happened in this moment. Not some post-colonial religious history, no. The real history. Like I told you, very difficult when you were colonial post-colonial. That's a whole separate topic, a whole other lecture. That lecture is in the university. That lecture, I can't think of the Muslim. That's a different lecture. Different lecture. So first things first. First things first. We have to get this Iman. We have to get the ilm of Quran. As I mentioned it, wordings, meanings, feelings. We have to get the ilm of Sunnah. Hmm? Same thing, teachings and feelings. And when you're feeling the feelings of Quran and feeling the feelings of Sunnah, then everything is the second thing, second. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying do the first step first. That's it. That's all I'm saying. You want marifat? You want marifat is? Love. That's another thing I'm saying. Oh, you don't know what marifat is, I think. Marifat is the end. It's the crowning achievement. It's the climax. It's the crux. It's the ultimate. It's the penultimate achievement. There's no way you're going to get that if you don't do the first things first. <coughs> Imam al-Ghazali wrote a whole risala on this. Al-Risala fi bayani marifat Allah. It's called the name al-Ghazali. Al-Risala fi bayani marifat Allah. He said the treatise on explaining what it means, the bayan, the explanation of what it means to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody writes in that. It's one of the most incredible things. It's very short also. It's incredible. He writes that marifat is adz. Is to ultimately know Allah is to know that He is ultimately unknowable. It all ends in humility. It ends in ajas. Hmm? To ultimately know Allah is to know that He is ultimately unknowable. So therefore then what you do? Then you just know Allah as He has revealed Himself to be. Know Allah as He wishes Himself to be known. That is the Asma'al Husna that is Quran. So you maximize, you reach it, but you realize ultimately Allah is unknown. Now what does he mean? He means to know Allah as Allah knows himself. That's called true knowledge. This is a principle, right? To know something the way something knows itself. So to know Allah as Allah knows himself, what's the true knowledge of Allah, right? True knowledge of Allah is how Allah knows himself too. That's called the highest level of knowledge. The true knowledge of Allah is how Allah knows himself to be. Marfat means to try for that, but to ultimately realize that you can never reach that. Because only Allah can know Himself as He knows Himself. So in that sense, Allah is ultimately unknowable. However, in the way Allah has revealed Himself to be, and wishes Himself to be known, Allah Ta'ala is ultimately knowable. That's the best way I can explain to in English what He has written in that place. But that's way above. It was way after the first time. Way after the first step. Sandra, we love you. We're very happy to meet you. But you know that deen is not about buildings. You know, deen is about hearts. Deen is about hearts. We would love that the building would have the hearts. We would love that the people who have hearts have these type of buildings. <laughs> like it's scary. Because I travel the world, the people who have the hearts normally don't have these type of buildings. And the people who have these type of buildings normally don't have the hearts. And both things make me sad. But both things make me sad. So go for the heart. Go for the heart. Because on that day of judgment, Allah is going to look at one thing, is going to look at your heart. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالًا وَلَا بَلُونَ إِلَّا مَنَعَتَ اللَّهُ بِكَوْنِ الْسَّرِينَ One thing Allah is going to look. Do you have that pure heart? 
Maybe no one will know but I'm in this place that you have to make it happen. The building built itself, the barakah will come on itself. You think you built the building and the barakah will come on itself. No, <laughs> the building came on its own and you have to bring it up. The building came on its own. This is a matter, this is materialism. The building came on its own, you have to bring the barakah. And the barakah comes from the first step. And do that first step well, and do it deeply, lay a deep foundation, first things first. Get that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Iman, the attributes of Iman, Hayat, Tawakkul, Sabr, Shukr, Adal, Akhlaq, Zikr, Fear of Allah, Love for Allah, everything Allah Ta'ala tells, Alladheena Amun in Qur'an, learn those teachings, live those teachings, feel those feelings, then when you become Alladheena Amun, you see Allah Ta'ala will take every word of deen. Everything will happen. Everything will happen. It's Ummah's Ummah of Alladheena Amunu, Ummah believers, they can only fix my fellow believers. And thank God, Allah Ta'ala, etc. coming here and sitting with you. And generally, I'm telling you, really from the bottom of my heart, you make God Ta'ala accept your effort, accept this institution. I make God Ta'ala grant you Marafat and grant you Belayas. You don't know what do we make for you. You just make God Allah, we bless Allah, bless your product of reviving the Ummah. We make more dons for you. Yes. We make more dons for you. Yeah, that's accepted. Let us feel every taste of salah, every look of sajda, the looks of ruku, the looks of 
Qiyam, and if you want to taste the sweetness of every ayah of Qur'an, every love of Qur'an, every hat of Qur'an, and if you can grant us these pleasures, that you have granted us so many pleasures in the world, you have granted us the bounties and blessings of the world, and we are more needy of the bounties and blessings of Deen, we are more needy of the blessings of Akhirah, and if you can not make us mahroom, Ya Allah, we don't want to be rich in this world, and poor in Akhirah, the abundance in dunya, and the scarcity in Deen, have your kalam on us, have your fuzzle on us, be even more generous to us indeed than you have been in dunya. And in Bikram, I ask that you fill the halls of this masjid with muftakeen, musaleen, mufluseen, musaleen. And I ask that you accept it as a light of Quran, a shining light of the Quran, Sunnah, and Sharia. And in Bikram, grant your raza, put it in your hifaza, send your hidai on it, Ya Allah. وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم